COVID-19 might have prevented the World Economic Forum from going to Davos this January, but it didn't stop us going to space. European Space Agency Director General in Davos, I can hear you loud and clear. This is Matthias Maurer, astronaut on the space station. How do you read me? Very good. With the Davos annual meeting postponed until May, the forum held an online Davos agenda with leaders from government, business, civil society, science and elsewhere from around the world coming together to discuss how the world will look post-COVID. Control means you have it present, but it is present at a level that does not disrupt society. In this episode of Radio Davos, a flavor of those discussions about the economic recovery. The world is emerging from the depths of a paralyzing economic crisis, but recovery remains fragile. And how that recovery can embrace climate change goals. The trillion dollar question is, how do you operate sustainably and make money? And those companies who have embraced sustainability are more profitable. And how we can tackle growing inequality. What is the good of trade if it doesn't speak to the lives and livelihood of ordinary people? Radio Davos is the podcast from the World Economic Forum that looks at the biggest challenges and how we might solve them. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a rating and a review, and join us on the World Economic Forum Podcast Club on Facebook. I'm Robin Pomeroy, and with this digest of what just happened at the World Economic Forum's Davos Agenda Week... That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. This is Radio Davos. While I sit here talking into this microphone, beyond the sky above me, a dozen or so human beings are circling planet Earth in the International Space Station. It's hard to comprehend what that must be like. So a highlight for me from this year's virtual Davos meeting was a live link up with the space station. Astronaut Matthias Maurer said that looking down on Earth, he sees humanity as a crew in charge of a planet, which is in a way itself a spaceship, one that needs careful handling and global cooperation. We launched uh, this project 21 years ago and people have been living here ever since. People from a lot of different nations, different languages, different cultures, and it works. We all work together, we are one team, and, and I wish we could extend this cooperation, this success to many more projects, and also especially to the very important projects like fighting climate change. And that's really what the Davos Agenda was about, bringing people together from around the world to address those big challenges that the world faces. You can hear all of that interview with astronaut Matthias Maurer on a previous episode of Radio Davos and watch it on our website, weforum.org, where you can catch up with the whole of the Davos Agenda week. But on this podcast, I'm bringing you just a flavor of the discussions. Kicking us off, World Economic Forum founder and executive chairman, Klaus Schwab, setting out the top challenges. At this pivotal moment, I see several priorities for the global agenda. We must continue to fight against the global pandemic. We must revitalize the global economy and accelerate its transition to net zero. We must preserve biodiversity by deploying nature-based solutions and we must narrow the gap between the rich and the poor to achieve more sustainable global development. Klaus Schwab. And as this is the World Economic Forum, let's look at the topic of the global economy. To start off, this is Antonio Guterres, Secretary General of the United Nations. The world is emerging from the depths of a paralyzing economic crisis, but recovery remains fragile and then even amid the lingering pandemic, persistent labor market challenges, ongoing supply chain disruptions, rising inflation and looming debt traps not to mention the geopolitical divide. 
And as a result, we see recovery slowing down quite substantially. And all of this threatens hard-one progress in advancing the 2030 Agenda and the Sustainable Development Goals, our key projects. The last two years have demonstrated a simple but brutal truth. If we leave anyone behind, in the end, we leave everyone behind. One of the many special addresses at the Davos Agenda Week, that was the UN Chief Antonio Guterres speaking about the economy. And there was a session called Global Economic Outlook. And here is the International Monetary Fund's head, Kristalina Georgieva, setting out her assessment. 2022 is like navigating an obstacle course with all the risks, inflation, COVID continuing and high debt levels. So what is that we anticipate for 2022. On the good news side, we anticipate the recovery to continue, but it is losing some momentum and it is faced with the renewal of infections. On top of them, the persistent, much more persistent than anticipated inflation. And on top of it, a record high debt levels, $226 trillion in debt on inflation. We need to understand why inflation is higher and more persistent in many places. And when we understand the reasons, it would be clear that it is not just for central bankers to fight it. If you look at the reasons for inflation, one is demand surging with supply falling behind and supply interruptions primarily caused by COVID, by restrictions that are associated with the waves of COVID uh, still with us. The uh, pressure on prices comes from food prices shooting up, to a certain degree because of climate impacts and because of energy prices shooting up. And this is a very complicated story in which uh, there is also an element of geopolitical tensions. And then we have a phenomenon that is strictly related to the pandemic, and it is the fact that labor markets are changing. We see that uh, everywhere, but especially in countries where unemployment has fallen uh, quite significantly. So is 2022 the year inflation roars back as a global problem after years when in many parts of the world it barely existed? European Central Bank President Christine Lagarde, who called the pace of the post-COVID economic rebound staggering, has this to say on inflation. We have to ask ourselves, where is it coming from? Is it likely to last? And we are trying to figure out how long it will last, because that is going to be critical in really composing the policy response that will be needed. And what do we see under the numbers? Well, we see 50% energy prices. And as Kristalina alluded to, it is not just the recovery. It is also geopolitical factors that are critically important at the moment. Unfortunately, it is also some idiosyncratic factors. It is some weather-related factors. And the rest, essentially, taking out a few base effects that will eventually clear out in the next uh, month, actually, we see a lot of this super strong recovery that has outpaced supply, which was constrained 
And as a result of that, you all, we all talk about the bottlenecks, the congestion of ports, the lack of truck drivers and what have you. So then you ask yourself, these two big factors, are they going to be with us for the long term? Are they going to affect this inflation number and make it sustainable? And will that dictate our monetary policy response? Vital questions for the heads of central banks who have the task of taming inflation if it gets too high. So, does Lagarde think current inflation is a blip or here to stay? We are not seeing this this sustainable movement that would lead to inflation spiralling out of control. On the contrary, we assume, and again, lesson of humility here, there is a lot of uncertainty about it. But we assume for the moment that energy prices will stabilise in the course of 22, uh, that those bottlenecks and those congested ports and, 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 and drivers missing in action and all the rest of it will also stabilise in the course of 22, and that gradually those inflation numbers will decline. Janet Yellen used to be Lagarde's counterpart in the US as chair of the Federal Reserve. She's now secretary of the Treasury of the United States. And in a conversation with Klaus Schwab, this is what she had to say about inflation. Professional forecasters think that inflation will substantially abate next year. Part of this view is likely driven by the expectation that the Federal Reserve will continue to account for these pressures as it fulfills its dual mandate. And as the president has remarked many times, the administration continues to tirelessly seek strategies to alleviate these pressures through actions such as easing congestion in our ports and expanding the labor supply. Yet, even as policymakers continue to address rising prices, our economic recovery will face significant risks until we have moved more decisively past the pandemic. Janet Yellen, but back in the discussion with Lagarde, Brazilian Economy Minister Paulo Guedes said Western governments were being too optimistic about inflation. I don't think inflation will be transitory at all. I think these supply adverse shocks will fade away gradually, but... Uh, there's no arbitrage anymore to be exploited by the Western side. So I think uh, the central banks are sleeping at the drive wheel. They should be aware, and I think inflation will be a problem, a real problem very soon for the Western world. So as the world seeks economic growth without runaway inflation, what about the impact on the environment? Can wealth creation and job creation happen without destroying the earth, which will mean getting to net zero greenhouse gases by 2050? This is Bill Gates talking about how to get whole industries to switch to green technologies, even in areas where those technologies are new and costly. In the end, uh, it really does come down to economics. Uh, the dirty way of making things is, is very mature you know, whether it's steel or cement or aviation fuel, and we have to, you know, make it far more economic. Investment now in those breakthroughs is at an all-time high. You know, we went from 2015, where there was very little money going into these things. Now we have uh, over 10 times as much. And so pairing those new technologies up with the big companies that have skills to build those things at scale, I, I see that as the urgent agenda. Um, that's where Breakthrough Energy Catalyst is working with each of the members of the First Movers Coalition to say, okay, what projects can we start 
and fund that will bring those costs down. The first movers coalition that Bill Gates was talking about there is a drive by the World Economic Forum and the US government to get big companies to commit to green technologies as a way of creating demand for those technologies, which might not yet exist or exist at scale. We did a podcast on the launch of the first movers coalition from COP26 last year with US climate envoy John Kerry. John Kerry was also at the Davos Agenda and he had this to say about climate change and coal. 20 countries equal 80% of all emissions. 12 of those countries are among that 65% that says we're going to get on track to do 1.5. So our target universe now, in terms of shifting rapidly, is frankly about eight countries. And we know that China, we've heard from President Xi in the last days, uh, and he's committed to continuing to work globally to try to deal with this, and we've entered some sort of a partnership to begin to do it. But we have to help countries be able to wean themselves from coal. It's not enough just to sit here today and say, hey, you got to get off coal. How? How are they going to do that? How does South Africa or Indonesia or India, where they have a huge percentage of their energy base comes from coal, how do we move them more rapidly? And that idea of helping economies and people transition to clean energy was reiterated by European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen in her address to the Davos Agenda. People need to trust that the transition will support the most vulnerable. Businesses need to trust that the transition will improve their competitiveness. And investors need to trust that we will stay the course whenever there are bumps on the road. There will never be a linear shift from a fossil fuel-based system to the clean energy system. We must be upfront about that. But the direction is clear, and so is our commitment. As we respond to this gas crisis, we will focus on protecting those most affected, we will accelerate the transition, and we will ensure that we have the reliable suppliers we need. And we heard from Germany's new leader, Olaf Scholz, saying he'd use his turn as head of the G7 group of countries to push for climate action. We will use our presidency of the G7 to turn that group into the nucleus of an international climate club. What we want to achieve is a paradigm shift in international climate policy we will no longer wait for the slowest and least ambitious. Instead, we will lead by example, and we will turn climate action from a cost factor into competitive advantage by agreeing on joint minimum standards. Ambitious, bold and cooperative, that will be the Climate Club's ABC. The view from some governments there, but what about companies? Many companies want to be greener or to be seen as being greener, either because it's the right thing to do or because that's what's increasingly being demanded by their consumers and their investors. This is what Klaus Schwab, the founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum, has called stakeholder capitalism, an economic model where companies pursue more than just profits and share price increases. Incidentally, we recently produced a five-part video podcast on that. Search for stakeholder capitalism on your podcast app. But back to today's episode. At the Davos Agenda, business leaders discussed how we can measure if companies are living up to their promises on ESG, on environment, social and governance issues. Brian Moynihan, Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of the Bank of America, has been working with the World Economic Forum and the big four accountancy firms on just that. The metrics were designed 
in an effort by the International Business Council with the big four accounting firms, with the World Economic Forum team to basically take a look across all the metrics that existed out there, consolidate them into a platform, which importantly aligned to two basic things. One was to the sustainable development goals, which is what the world wants you know, development to be like. And then secondly, frankly, to define and measure what stakeholder capitalism is because the debate had begun, well, you all talk about it, but how do we know you're doing it? And the answer was, here's a set of metrics. As you get these things standardized, then investors won't be confused. Then society won't be confused. Then people will be able to be held accountable in a consistent fashion. And that's the goal we have. So why would companies choose to report on their environmental performance and potentially open themselves up to scrutiny and criticism that they might otherwise avoid? Business leaders said there was a carrot and a stick. This is Julie Sweet, Chair and Chief Executive Officer of consultancy firm Accenture, who says companies that act now to embrace stakeholder capitalism will do better than those that don't. This is about competitiveness. And uh, the reason the private sec- the private companies are going to come along is because this is how they're going to win. And uh, everything that we've seen, the research we've done, says that the trillion-dollar question is, how do you operate sustainably and make money? And those companies who have embraced sustainability are more profitable. They have a higher total return to shareholders. And the stick... Franz van Houten, chief executive officer of manufacturing conglomerate Royal Philips, said having reliable ESG metrics would mean regulators could impose a price on, for example, carbon emissions, something he welcomes. Eventually, once we have transparency on ESG and metrics, there needs to be a cost to not being sustainable, a cost to being wasteful, a cost to, to carbon emissions. Uh, carbon priced pricing should then make their way into the cost prices of the products. Um, and that will, I think, help then the, the, the consumers who are less involved around making the right choices. Watch all of that discussion on our website. It's called ESG Metrics for a Sustainable Future. Now, the Davos Agenda Week kicked off with speeches from the leaders of the world's two most populous countries. And although here we'll have to listen to them through an interpreter, I thought it was well worth listening into some of what they had to say. This is Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Given the global landscape today, the question that also arises is whether multilateral organizations are able to address the new world order and new challenges. Are they still capable of doing so? When these institutions were created, the situation was quite different. Today, circumstances have changed. They are very different. Therefore, it is the responsibility of every democratic country to focus on reforms of these institutions so that we make them capable of addressing present and future challenges. And on a similar topic, Xi Jinping, President of the People's Republic of China. Countries around the world should uphold true multilateralism. We should remove barriers, not erect walls. We should open up, not close off. We should seek integration, not decoupling. This is the way to build an open world economy. We should guide reforms of the global governance system with the principle of fairness and justice and uphold the multilateral trading system with the World Trade Organization at its center. We should make generally acceptable 
and effective rules for artificial intelligence and digital economy, on the basis of full consultation, and create an open, just, and non-discriminatory environment for scientific and technological innovation. Speaking through an interpreter, Xi Jinping, the president of China. Now, both of those leaders were talking about global bodies and how they should be reformed. Here's the head of one of those bodies, Ungozio Konjoiwela, director general of the World Trade Organization. We do have international institutions to strengthen trade and and strengthen supply chains. The issue is whether these institutions are fit for purpose. And uh, what I would say, I can talk about my own institution, a wonderful one which underpins transparency and a level playing field in multilateral trade. But there's a lot of work to be done in order to be strengthen the trading system and be fit for the future of trade. Ngozio Konjo-Iwela also made the point that global bodies such as the WTO don't just need to work well, they need to work in a way that benefits normal people. What is the good of trade? If it doesn't speak to the lives and livelihood of ordinary people, it's not about just the elite or those making people rich, but we need to look at how does it benefit poor people within rich countries and poor countries in the world? And how do we include them and integrate them into the global trading system? There were many other big issues addressed at the Davos agenda, vaccine equity, stakeholder capitalism, technology, plus special addresses from leaders around the world, many of whom we've not had time to listen to here. But let's end where we started, in space. This is former US Vice President Al Gore, who is a champion of using space technology to help monitor and combat climate change. This is Al Gore talking about the latest technical wonder up there, the James Webb Space Telescope. The James Webb Telescope is unfolding right now and will give us a chance to see into the distant past, to see the first moments of the universe's uh, emergence. But we have to use our moral imagination to see the future uh, of humanity and to see the grave danger that is posed by all of the global warming pollution that we're putting into the atmosphere every day. Al Gore. You can find all of the action from the Davos Agenda on our website, and there are lots of links in the article that accompanies this episode. Please subscribe to Radio Davos wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating or review if you liked it, and join the conversation on the World Economic Forum Podcast Club. Look for that on Facebook. This episode of Radio Davos was written and presented by me, Robin Pomeroy. Studio production was by Gareth Nolan. We'll be back next week, but for now, thanks to you for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>